G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We know that in Australia, early actions from our governments may have helped us to dodge a bullet here in Australia by way of a health crisis. Well, decisive actions early may have saved thousands of lives. But there are more dimensions at risk than just the COVID-19 health crisis. We know that we're into the start of the biggest economic downturn since the Great Depression in the 1930s. Now, that has major effects on every dimension of our lives. So let's talk through the other big dimension today. You know that when the government is ploughing billions into issues around mental health, you'll know that there is a real concern about how vulnerable people are being affected by the damaging consequences of coronavirus and the economic crisis. Professional services will target those who have specific need. But what about our immediate family needs and the needs of our neighbours? How might we think of protecting our family and our neighbours in these uncertain times? And do we, as Christian believers, even have what we might think of as a superpower to do anything at all? Well, this is where our discussion will go today, and I want to invite you to join in and be part of it. Very shortly, we'll open our talkback lines on 1-800-316-316. We also have a Facebook question you can respond to on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Vision Radio. Simply Google Vision Radio Facebook. You'll get that Facebook page. There's a post there that asks the question, are we responsible for other people's mental safety? And talking through these issues today, Dr. John Warlow is an adult, child and family psychiatrist and is the developer of what's known as the Christian Wholeness Framework. His passion is Christian wholeness, taking the gospel to the whole person. Dr. John Warlow, a special welcome along to 2020. With you again, particularly at this time as well. Thanks. John, let's start with something that I think is very foundational to the conversation that we're to have today. It's the idea that can we prevent more mental health conditions or poor mental health conditions? Uh, Is this a preventable thing? Sometimes we think of mental health and there are all sorts of chemical imbalances in the body and those sorts of things that that for some people takes them off the deep end. But what about the prevention of poor mental health conditions? Is it something we can prevent? Uh, Neil, such a good question. We can have an impact uh, in terms of, yeah, helping those who are going off the deep end, as you say, maybe preventing some who are getting close to that deep end from falling over, but especially um, is providing some resilience and bounce as it were, in in those who are going okay uh, but, but need that um, increased help at the 
time. And those ways don't need to be complex. Um, they're, they're very simple and uh, really looking forward to this time with you to, to help the listeners to be able to, um, to, be able to uh, have this as a time of not, not traumatic stress, but of traumatic growth if at all possible. <laughs> well, to introduce that into the start of our conversation, because it is going to get deep, and perhaps hopefully deep on both sides, when you talk about the dreadfully bad effects and then the wonderfully good effects that you can have if you get the mental health process right. Because let's come straight to this and not uh, not uh, tread too lightly around the edges here. What we're talking about with not only the health crisis of COVID-19, but the economic crisis, the movement towards recession, even depression. Uh, There are so many dreadful statistics we could draw attention to with the people who have lost their jobs, people whose businesses are bankrupt, and we might anticipate the worst is yet to come, and government anticipates this. So this is why we ought to be talking about it. People who spiral out of control into depression, and even towards the idea of suicide. Uh, These are the sorts of consequences of poor mental health, and I wonder whether you've got some reflection on just how serious it is when we start to talk about these things. Yeah, thank you. And I think the the economic uh, side of things and even the physical side of things um, uh, are bad enough. I mean... On the one hand, while on the other hand, we're so grateful that, uh, like in Queensland here, there's only been six deaths, uh, which is amazing compared to other parts of the world, and we're very grateful for that. Um, But underneath that is much more an invisible disaster um, uh, possibility for individuals, for families, for communities as they go through such stress um, as we've never experienced before. An invisible disaster. Now, that's terminology. That's the first time I've heard that. But what we are dealing with is an invisible disaster here. Sometimes we as Christian believers talk about an invisible God who shows himself, but there's obviously an opposite to what might be the invisible disaster, and that could be the effects that God can have on the mental health of an individual. And uh, let's get into a little bit of that sort of discussion as we get the foundation for our discussion today underway, because this is a Christian conversation. This is about what difference God makes to our mental health. What uh, what sort of foundation can we lay here that talks about the invisible God who has a real visible difference when it comes to our mental health, John? Neil, there is no other foundation than the foundation, indeed, of Jesus. Um, he, he is a central uh, part of us. Without him, we go to- so adrift. And um, and it's such a such a time of this for us, as it says in Hebrews, to really know that we have an anchor which has right gone right through into the presence of God, uh, that we have a, that access um, uh, with Him, and even though outside might be such a disaster, and the tsunami waves might crash into us at a deeper level. If below that water, if below the storm, um, we can actually be in touch with God uh, at this time, is going to be a central uh, way of 
preventing um, crisis um, at this time, uh, a central part of that. Now, not to get too fear-mongering, I've just had a great conversation with Bill Muhlenberg about fear and the way that that is a controlling factor that often gets used by governments. But let's talk worst-case scenario here for a few moments because if we're talking about what could be ahead of us here, John, uh, the idea of an economic crisis that grows into a depression, uh, people losing their homes, their jobs, their businesses, uh, family members who are swept away by the economic crisis that might be ahead of us. Uh, the idea of people falling, the old saying, people falling like nine pins. And as I talk about this, and uh, as I say, uh, talking worst case scenarios, that people will succumb to the mental health stresses that will be ahead, that we will see. And how we actually preserve not only our own mental health, but the mental health of our families uh, in this time. What about worst case scenarios and the idea of preparing now? Uh, such a good question again, Neil. And just like with the virus, we're grateful for uh, you know the government to be able to step in so early in the way it's gone in Australia. So now, uh, regarding the deeper aspects of the individual the couple, the family, the community, uh, we need to step in uh, now um, so that that internal invisible disaster is ameliorated, is lessened, um, because the worst case uh, things are, are those where yeah, uh, people push the final exit button. I, this is there's no point to this. I'm not going to go on. And in, in that feeling out of control, as you mentioned, the fear and the distress, they push that button, the final exit of suicide, where not just in individuals, but also in couples, uh, there is uh, family breakdown. Gosh, uh, you know, people facing each other like they've never faced before with the sort of lockdown and um, parents having to be there with the kids um, uh, just desperate for the kids to get off to school um, and the challenges then for the individual, for the couple, for the family and the community and I love what you're saying in the title how can we protect families and our neighbours um, th these, are, these are things which um, are underneath the iceberg which are still to be seen in a greater way John, government provides money, and we've seen this with the $130 billion stimulus that the government has provided, and and so many of us will be so thankful that there is that stimulus that provides uh, something of a safety net uh, when we've been cut from our jobs, cut working hours, businesses that are at risk or that have already failed. Now, when the government provides money to alleviate suffering, that seems to work to a degree, uh, but it does ignore some of these other dimensions. And when we think of the money not lasting for very long, I mean, September is the time and uh, there are noises about, you know, a cut off of that supply. That's when the crunch may come. But governments provide money. Money actually does help to preserve our mental health but it is a little bit like an artificial prop. What are your thoughts around the way we rely on this sort of money factor for our mental health? 
Um, Neil, uh, that's right. And uh, we do rely on the outside and particularly in our society. We are so, in some ways, superficial um, on the one hand, but on the other hand, absolutely need that money to um, retain uh, some kind of on ongoing existence. But it is it is a huge opportunity for us to do something which a lot of people are not used to, uh, which is actually to uh, look in, to look into themselves and see actually what's going on um, uh, within us, within us as individuals, within us as a marriage or as a family, um, and, uh, to start to face some of the things we haven't faced before. And that can be scary as well, um, but can actually uh, really uh, result in a lot of prevention of damage for later on. Now, we don't know how long the crisis will last. We don't know how deeply people will be affected by the road ahead. So the idea of prevention now is going to be better than cure because, John, you're a psychiatrist. You've been doing this for a very long time. You've seen some very hard cases, and undoubtedly there are those where you're picking up pieces. Uh, the idea of, you know, the bottom of the cliff or the top of the cliff. A fence at the top of the cliff makes all the difference uh, because the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff is where a lot of people are when they're needing help. Give us some insights here into the sort of responsibility we might need to take now to make changes to protect ourselves and our families ahead of the sort of crisis we're talking about. Um, Neil, this is spot on. And uh, I think that there's a number of changes we can make in terms of, of protecting, of um, uh, preparing us uh, for the future so that the internal effects of this virus doesn't get, go deeper than it needs to. And the major things which we're looking at here are our relationships, are who we are in ourselves um, and what we do uh, about things and um, and also not doing it alone. And there's just this sim- these simple four things which I've just mentioned can make such a difference on a community level. And this is where the church, in my opinion, has got such a massive opportunity at this stage. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. Our talkback line open. 1-800-316-316. We're into the deep waters. We're talking about what is coming. And it may be an invisible disaster, as we've talked about, so far as the mental health crisis that is ahead. Government doing all it can, and in the way that it can, providing money as a safety net. Money does a lot of good things in helping people to stay on the straight and narrow, to stay at the top of the cliff. We used that cliff illustration just a few minutes back. John Warlow is our guest, Dr. John Warlow, psychiatrist and uh, author of some fabulous books about God-centered transformation and God-centered relationships, part of a series of books called The Cure for Life. God, uh, uh, John, when you talk about God, uh, you talk about him, and I noticed that one of your illustrations that you love to use is the idea of a triangle. We're on the lower left corner, and... Our others are on the right corner, but at the top of the triangle, you've got God. 
when we're Christian believers, God is a part of our lives. And if there's going to be any change and any effect on others, it has to start with us first. Uh, Give us some insights here into just how powerful it is to get our own mental health conditions right before God on the eve of what might be a dreadful crisis that we might be facing. Um, Neil, it's just like in the aeroplanes. Gosh, hardly see any of those now, do we? But, um, uh, you know, where, hey, uh, parents take the gas, the, the oxygen mask first, um, so that you can be okay and then put it on your child. And I think that's such a good illustration of this incredibly powerful uh, dynamic um, of relationships with with us, with others, and with God, as you're saying. And, yeah, we're, we're, this triangle illustrates one of the key verses in Scripture, the great commandment, which is a commandment of love, a commandment connection um, with God, uh, with others and ourselves in a holistic way. And it's this triangle which can really um, empower us, provide that protection and stability and strength uh, to help us see through this time. I gather the triangle architecturally is one of the strongest um, uh, designs you have to keep a building up. And if we are in a triangle with God, others and ourselves, Um, that's going to work but certainly we've got to look at ourselves as well John let's move quickly to our children as parents and we're talking about families how do we protect our families any thoughts here on what a parent needs to be doing now to prepare children for what might be coming Um, absolutely and let's talk about uh, primary school kids but also teenagers Uh, they're different animals okay yeah. um, but the, there are similar principles for both and it'll come out in different ways but it just it, the fact that we've got similar principles to be able to help here in a family makes it easy um, and it is um, having that connection with our child with our teenager and it's made so much stronger like we've just said if god can be part of that but teenagers if they're having a really hard time sometimes all we might be left with is just connection and if we try and fix them or uh, try and do stuff to them which is just going to be water off a duck's back it's going to backfire um, and where do you go then? What do you do when we've got rebellious teenagers and stuff like that, particularly if they're not able to see their friends so much and so on? It is to go back to that basis of connection. It's just trying to connect is one of the best things we can do. Well, connecting with our teenagers and, as you say, a little easier with the younger children, but connecting with teenagers an absolute essential if there is a tough time ahead like we're talking because uh, those teenagers need a, a focal point. They need a pillar to be able to rely upon. And uh, we've got to do that as parents. And as you say, as godly parents, we bring in God into their circumstance. That, that's right. And it's who is there in the teenager's life? And um, at this time where there's, I hate the word, Neil, social distancing, it's physical distancing, it's not social distancing. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that as we um, 
as a teenager, even on a virtual way. And boy, they're good at this virtual connection. They, they've got lots of practice at this. They're prepared for this sort of stuff in some ways um, where they can have connection with their friends. And yeah, it's really challenging when that connection with the friends, where the friends are not really helpful. That makes it so much harder. But if there can be someone like a youth group leader speaking into the, these kids' lives, someone from a small group. Uh, we, we were talking about the cliff illustration again and uh, the fence at the top of the cliff, the ambulance at the bottom, but we're talking to people today who may not be near the edge of the cliff yet. Uh, this is a preparation type of a thought here that we're talking about as you prepare for mental health challenges ahead. Um, Neil, thank you. And you have mentioned the word about the government providing an economic safety net uh, for us. And what we so need at the moment is a mental health or a mental safety net, a a safety net for our minds and our hearts. And um, uh, there are are very simple ways to do that with those close to us and our neighbours, whether that's the person in the shopping centre, and it's great to see the shopping centre have more people at this moment, but there's simple ways to do that. And we as a church have such an opportunity to be part of that safety net for the deeper aspects of ourselves at this time. Let's just talk about this role the church may have. And when I say the church, I'm talking about Christian believers who are a part of a Christian community because being part of the Christian community in your local area is part of the way that there's real power here, John. Uh, Church church being poised to be a part of the healing of the mental health of a community. Uh, Take us into some insights here. Yeah. So your first thing is to be able to uh, be there with someone. When there is that connection, you can actually then start to do something which is so simple but so powerful and ask them a question like, hello, uh, this is incredibly powerful, so simple, but can I ask, when was the last time someone asked you a question? And the question starts with, how are you? Or where are you? Where are you at? How are you? And it's just so simple, but we just don't do that. And what I find so helpful with providing this safety net, Neil, is being able to locate where people are at in terms of that cliff, Uh, in terms of how close are they to the cliff? Are they actually down the cliff? Are they miles away from the cliff? In which case, it's going to be different. That's an incredibly easy way to do that, which um, we can all do with each other. Back to you, Neil. You know what? When we talk about the church and Christian believers and having a superpower, I mean, what we're talking about is not a power from within ourselves, but a power that comes from outside of us, the transcendent God, the God that we serve, the God that we worship, the God of the Bible. And uh, when we talk about the idea of redemption, Uh, When we're talking about people who are out on the edge, don't know where to go, they've been following a godless way of trying to keep themselves together. But when that's all failed, uh, this idea that church and the Christian believers there have this superpower because our God is a God of redemption. He brings us back from the edge. Uh, That's right, Neil. And that is the deepest 
part, I guess, of safety uh, around this time is we don't only have a place but we actually have a uh, person um, who we can come back to or come to for the very first time, a place where underneath the storms, underneath the tsunami, um, is, the, um, uh, is that home where we can keep on coming back, regardless of how many times we messed it up. We can come back to that God who is love, God of love, uh, yeah, a God of truth. And we can be real. Yeah, we can be real about God and ourselves. And it's that coming back, which is the central core of change for us, um, which we can access to, to be part of providing that safety net uh, from the heart. Okay, we're asking the question on Facebook, are we responsible for other people's mental safety? And uh, I'll reflect a, a few of the thoughts that are coming through from listeners uh, Enoch says, is that partially or totally responsible? So there's a, there's a clarification question that he's asking there. Uh, when Paul talks about the weaker brethren, he kind of answers that we should be aware that what we see as a tiny thing, others may be so weak that it causes them to stumble. Not sure how that all completely relates to uh, the question. Beverly says, no, we are responsible for our own words and actions which may contribute to their state of mind. Let's remain submitted under God and allow his love to flow as healing balm to all we interact with. I wonder if you've got any thoughts around what Beverly's saying. She's saying, no, we're not responsible for other people's mental safety, but what we are responsible is for our own words and actions. What are your thoughts here, John? I tend to work along the lines of what Beverly is saying and that to be that uh, channel through whom God can, can flow to others, what then happens to that water, as it were? What ha- then happens to that flow? Yeah, is, um, is over to them. And I know responsibility is talked about throughout the Bible um, in Galatians, but all the way up to Ezekiel and stuff like that, of and Isaiah, or about being responsible for others. But for me personally, as a psychiatrist as well, I tend to go more along the lines of Beverly, and there is that then partial responsibility responsibility of and it's the great commandment the new commandment and the great commission which all talk about others the great commandment love our neighbor the great uh, love our neighbor as you love yourself and the new commandment in john 12 of of love uh, love one another as i have loved you and then the great commission go go into the world and preach the whole gospel to the whole person so there i i tend to agree with beverly on that yeah You know, some people will look at those of us who go to church regularly and they'll be saying, why would you be doing that, going along to church and, you know, somebody's up there preaching and, oh, they only want your money and all these sorts of criticisms that people might have of church. But when you said those profound questions, how are you or where are you at? Those are the sorts of questions that are asked in almost every church service. Uh, those are the questions that are a challenge to where is your heart at? What is your thinking like? Those are the questions that come uh, from this response we have to God when we're a part of a routine which is so very, very strong and healthy for our mental health condition. Uh, what are your thoughts for, for church and the fact that when you are a regular churchgoer, your mental health is actually probably stronger than people who are outside of church? 
Yeah, Neil, and in this day when we're looking at virtual church, um, but um, also a real call to the church to grow small, to grow small. And it's that in that smallness, which is like the S of safety, of the that acronym safety of the smallest, where we as a whole church can actually put that really central, critical question to someone when there is that connection, when there is that connection of, hey, where are you in God? Where are you in God? But that question is such a powerful one. It can only come um, uh, when we actually have that safety net, S-A-F-E-T-Y net of connection with, with the other person. John, for that person who is listening in to us today who doesn't go to church, has a heart filled with doubts about whether there even is a God, is reliant on the next government handout so that there's a meal on the table and a roof over their head so that they can continue to survive in an existence sort of a way. In other words, there's a godlessness about the way that that person thinks. They're missing something of a big dimension here, which Christians who've drawn in close to God know about. What are your thoughts for that person who is sitting here shaking their head about a conversation that we're having like this today? Yeah, my thoughts is this, that uh, just to say that U-turns are permitted. U-turns are permitted. Actually, I was, I was on someone on the a training earlier on the week out in Longreach. They don't have enough roads out there to have U-turns are permitted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But U-turns are permitted for anyone, maybe for the first time uh, or even as a Christian, when we are um, uh, when we're just in a place which is frankly no different from if we were a non-Christian, that U-turns are permitted to come to God for the first time or for uh, the umpteenth time. Because, uh, and all we have to do is, is an ABC, um, is admit where we are at. And the wonderful thing about Christianity is we can be real. We can admit where we're at. And then secondly, we can believe where he's at. That this is a God of love who actually wants us to be in a relationship with him. And so we admit, A, where we're at. God, I'm going down this road the wrong way. We can believe, hey, there's a different road to, to going down here. And that's a road back home, a road back to God. Believe that. And the C is, well, choose to do something. Change, turn the steering wheel. Turn the steering wheel. Uh, come back to him uh, or come to him for the first time. And it adds just such a huge dimension uh, to life, um, which, which can really help, assist, provide that safety net of the heart, safety net of the mind, as we as a church are part of that, um, helping us doing U-turns ourselves, but also helping others to do those U-turns. I'm thinking of that sort of illustration, the power cord that comes from heaven. And uh, we remain linked in, locked in, connected, and the power of God comes into our lives. Uh, There is something that is comforting in that because we know that God has control, that his power works through us. And when you talk, John, about connection, 
you talked about connection with our children, our teenagers, a little earlier. It's one of the things that we can do to be prepared. Uh, connection between uh, married partners here. Uh, what are your thoughts here, husband and wife, and uh, the sort of connection that needs to be there uh, almost as a, a vaccination, an inoculation against the hard times to come because lots of pressure on marriages uh, when things fall to pieces? Um, connection is the foundation of any relationship um, in any setting, whether it's work or in home, parents, marriages. And in marriages particularly, uh, connection comes uh, with uh, two things. And these two things help provide a very smooth foundation, which allow us to play the game of life, as it were, with each other. It's like we're on a tennis court. We can play a game of tennis without a whole lot of junk being on that court because we have connection. And that connection comes with two major things. It begins with the letter S, letter F. Um, and the first one is to be able to have fun. Fun is, and go out, boy, boy, let's just go to kids. Um, kids know the, the, what the important thing of life is, is fun. And fun as, as adults as well is just having that time and um, of fun. And Jill and I try, we don't always hit it, to have um, three hours of fun <laughs> a, a, a week. And that sounds, gosh, that's pretty pathetic. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but at least it's there. Um, and then we try and have, then the other F is facing. It's facing. It's like when the game of tennis gets a bit more serious and you start talking about things where you've got to play more by the rules. Uh, let me listen to you. Let me really listen to you. Um, and I'd really value it if you can listen to me. And those things, that connection there in a marriage setting can really help uh, grow that safety net um, at this time. Okay, have fun and be prepared for facing. Okay, I like that. Three hours a week you've determined to have fun. I think that's great and you've got to start somewhere. Some people will say, that's not enough for me. I've got to have more fun. <laughs> hey, one more question quickly to run out of time, but Susie says uh, to our Facebook question today, which is, are we responsible for other people's mental safety? Susie says, yes and no. First of all, we need to keep ourselves mentally healthy. Secondly, if we are concerned about someone's mental health, then we can always contact somebody who could help them. Thirdly, with mental health issues, they also need to take responsibility for their own health by keeping in contact with those like doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists. I think I say this is as uh, I say this as a mental health worker myself. So thank you, Susie, for your contribution there. The idea here that in church life, John, while all of these relational ways that we're talking about within families and within the broader church community, there's a certain social connection and it's a safety net. Uh, the idea of having those people who are professionals on hand to make reference to when there is a deeper issue at play. Lots of church leaders, pastors are aware of this sort of thing, but but this is something for all of us to be aware of. And Susie's absolutely got it right. And good on you, Susie, mental health worker there. Go for it. Yeah, we've got to look after ourselves, but that, there's so much power then, as Susie says, engaging other help, engaging other help. And the main place to go 
is the GP. The GP is, is like the conductor of the orchestra. And to be able to help someone, as Susie says, to take some, uh, some own, their own responsibility. But even if someone can, from the church or whoever can go with them, if necessary, just to wait in the waiting room while that person's seeing the GP um, to get their own help. There's such power in what Susie's saying. Absolutely, Neil. John, we have run out of time. Uh, just thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I love to draw attention to uh, the good work you do. And uh, these days you're really focused in helping to raise up more mental health professionals. And with this Christian view that you have and uh, your Christian wholeness framework, I'll point listeners to the website Dr. John Warlow, W-A-R-L-O-W.com, drjohnwarlow.com. Uh, the couple of books I mentioned, The Cure for Life, Part 1 and Part 2, and I know Part 3 is coming. But John Warlow, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. This power of connection to God and to one another is going to be a wonderful vaccination for some tough times ahead. Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Neil, love it. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.